Scano Sego Ani Bojo Kwekwe Tansi. And good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7 and in Toronto at 106.5. Of course, you could also be listening anywhere across Canada if you've downloaded the Radio Canada app and have typed in uh, one of our stations, 106.5 or 95.7, Element FM, E-L-M-N-T, that is. And, uh, it, it, you know, we were just saying before we got on the air, uh, our guest has arrived, and, and I do mean momentarily before we were on the air and just got 40 him. seconds. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. That's the voice of Vince Fontaine. Uh, if you don't know Vince Fontaine by name... You may know him by the uh, the credits he has been associated with in terms of musical groups. Eagle and Hawk, a uh, fabulous group uh, with a great history and some fabulous tunes, uh, as well as Indian City. And uh, we are spinning both those bands here on Element FM, so it's great that uh, uh, Vince was able to pop in and be with us. It was a short notice kind of thing, and so Vince, we're... It's great that you're here. Thanks for popping in. Well, Jimmy Gwage, David, thank you so much, and uh, good morning to our listeners uh, across uh, the the waves here. Mm. Yeah. So, so what brings you to the uh, big smoke, anyway? Um, well, I'm here in a, on a great uh, music trade mission. It's uh-huh. part of Manitoba Music and Canada Council. We put together a market builder, and uh-huh. this is the uh, third edition that Manitoba Music has done it through their Indigenous Music program. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've collected uh, eight artists and industry folks from across the country, indigenous uh, folks. And uh, so we've been doing some meetings and uh, sharing some of the music uh, with our artists. So, you know, we got people like um, Kelly Fraser, who was a nominee uh, last year, and uh, some young emerging artists, Seth uh, Sebastian Gaskin. Mm. Um, there's qu- quite a few po- folks here. And so we just had a meeting at the Juno office. Everybody mm-hmm. aspires to join up with those folks. Yeah. <clears throat> so, we, yeah, we came here and uh, we're just um, marketing and making meetings and uh, talking music and, and talking in the indigenous music yeah. side of things. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, you know, you've been uh, in the music industry and specifically indigenous music industry for quite a while. That's true. The, yeah, I look back at the calendar and go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, what do you think, what do you notice, Well, if anything has changed in that time? <clears throat> well, they've gotten younger. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a nice question, and uh, it's always great to start with a bit of background. Um, when I kind of started in, as a recording artist, trying mm-hmm. to aspire to be a recording artist and write my own music, that was in the... Uh, mid nineties. Mm. And, um, and that was on the heels of, that I always look back and I refer to as kind of a wave of the, um, indigenous music, uh, things. Um, the, um, start of the, um, Aboriginal Juno, which uh-huh, started yeah. in 1994 yeah. and 95 and onwards. And, uh, artists back in the day, you know, Lawrence Martin was the first mm. Juno winner. Mm-hmm. Um, soon the glue card, Buffy St. Marie, Cashton, mm-hmm. the list goes on. And, um, so when I was starting out, you know, I was a musician in Winnipeg and I played across uh, the club scene for quite a few years where we learned how to play our chops and get some music under our belt. So I had a <coughs> had an idea to, to get into an original project and I wanted to uh, make a concerted effort to uh, voice my, my ideas and conviction of uh, Indigenous thoughts and ideas. Um, and so <clears throat> that's when I kind of started uh, with, uh, with Eagle and Hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, started it back around 94, 95, 96. And I say that loosely because we kind of just jammed a bit and mm. uh, 
probably wasn't really till 97 where we put out our first uh, CD. And uh, and it was cool because uh, there was a, a wave of, of new artists that were coming out, you know, like um, Sandy Schofield and mm. Wayne LaValle and mm. Derek Miller. And <clears throat> we were following the footsteps, as I was saying, of some of those great artists, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned before, Cashton, et cetera. Uh, Jerry Alford, mm. all these folks, right? And then I thought, wow, these these guys are fantastic, and uh, they're participating in the mainstream of music. Right. So it's kind of a neat it's a neat introduction, uh, and that's and the vehicle at the time, of course, was Eagle and Hawk, and yeah. uh, um, you know, so that was kind of the beginning steps. So, one thing I've noticed about your the writing of the songs, <clears throat> and and I would say more than the writing and and what you do with your material is the production values that you bring to your mm. your music. Mm-hmm. I always thought that you guys had a, had a really strong sense of your your production and mm. how you wanted it to sound and right. what you wanted those those musical pieces to come <clears throat> out like. Yeah, well. Um... You you know always aspire to to raise the bar and uh, boy I tell you I've been very fortunate uh, for twenty plus years <clears throat> to work with a very good friend of mine his name is Chris Bergafney he's uh, he's been our producer mm. for most of the albums um, Chris was was well known in the Canadian music uh, industry he had a he was a recording artist himself but he was kind of famous for um, for discovering and signing up um, Chantal Kreviazic. He uh, <clears throat> got her signed to a major record deal uh, with Sony in, in 1996, and then uh, another group, McMaster and James. So, so Chris had this forte of bringing, uh, you know, music production tools and skills to to our studio, and <clears throat> he also had a knack of t- twisting our ideas into hooks. And so I learned a lot about songwriting and mm. stuff from Chris. And uh, so <clears throat> that was, yeah, we were very fortunate over the years. And, and Chris, uh, I always give credit. He's he's kind of like the silent member. He's the George Martin of <laughs> of Eagle and Hawk, a very good friend of mine. <laughs> right. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, as you, you, you obviously, uh, Eagle and Hawk was successful. You did a lot of touring. You put out several uh, uh, CDs with the band. Well, that was the heyday, I tell you. It was so much mm-hmm. fun. You know, I'll interrupt you quickly. Sure. Uh, coming to Toronto in November every year mm-hmm. was awesome because what they had was they had this wonderful signature event, which was the Canadian Aboriginal Festival. Mm-hmm. Part of that was the Canadian Aboriginal Music Awards. Right. I'll tell you, we marked it down every year that we would attend, whether we were putting out music or just attending and seeing what was happening. It was mm-hmm. really awesome in those days. And uh, those particular folks who started the... Canadian Aboriginal Music Awards have to be always uh, applauded for that. Mm. It gave a lot of our artists an opportunity to be seen in the big smoke, as we mm-hmm. said. And mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> because of that, you know, we we saw our name in the national newspapers for the first time. Mm. We got to get an invitation to play uh, a spot on Canada AM mm. and, and uh, breakfast television and all mm. these things that may not have happened if we didn't come to Toronto back mm. in the uh, early 2000s. It was mm. awesome. So then, uh, going back to my original question, uh, mm-hmm. we filled that in a little bit. Yeah, what do you see has changed in terms of? <laughs> yeah, the that's a good point. Well, <laughs> other than younger, well, you know, um, certainly the bar across the board, in my opinion, has changed. Mm. And I'm not saying that it wasn't uh, anything. It's just that um, I think a lot of artists have so much access now through technology to see mm. exactly what's going on. Back, you know, back 20 plus years ago you had to go hear an album or a CD mm. and then try and find a expensive studio that had the tools to do that. 
And of course, technology changed it so you can bring it into your own household mm-hmm. and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that changed. I think um, I think a lot of artists jumped on board. They saw that there was an opportunity mm-hmm. as with other artists to be part of. Uh, maybe they aspire to be writers and recording artists themselves. Mm. So the amount of uh, recordings has grown mm. substantially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, radio stations in communities has grown. Mm. Um, of course, uh, <clears throat> radio stations uh, across the country are particularly Winnipeg, NCI, yep. uh, with the Indigenous Music Count on that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. It was all helpful, really helpful tools for our artists to be heard and to get their music out. There's nothing more cooler for an artist, a young artist, than hearing your song on the radio for the first time. I got to tell you, <laughs> whether you're you know, on the res or if you're driving mm. on the highway or in the city, it's like, mm. whoa, hey, that's me. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> so all those things across the board <clears throat> have jumped up. They've changed. Um, the variety, uh, the level of excellence is all there. And we can see that as we do when you watch the highest moment of celebration in the country, which is the Junos, mm. right? Yep. And so you see artists across the board, their uh, nominees, uh, their winners, and their collective voices, right? Yeah. Cool. So now, uh, as yourself then, you've, uh, <coughs> you've advanced, you've become a, a seasoned performer, you've become... Uh, you, you put on uh, uh, events now, you're somewhat <coughs> of a producer, I guess, yourself. Uh, so... so What's 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 the new world like for you? Well, it's it's multiple uh, multiple ideas, and you're managing and juggling things. I think I think a lot of artists uh, naturally come into this type of situation where <clears throat> at one time you were the guitarist, and then you were the band leader, then you were the manager, then you were the booking agent, <laughs> and then you were sideman for another band, and so on. Right? So so all these things happen, right? So. But um, Eagle and Hawk was a wonderful vehicle that gave me opportunity to uh, to <clears throat> to play, you know, across Turtle Island, and mm. of course in Europe we did so many tours, and it it gave me um, experience and and the the ideas to do live shows. I used to you know produce some shows um, across the country with different artists. I always had this kind of idea. I went back to old school where they would have multiple acts on the bill, like a review, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know back in the day they probably have you know. You know, all these big artists like um, famous ones like Richie Valance and um, all, all these mm. folks had multiple yeah, acts, yeah, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> I thought, what what better way than to have a multiple billing and marquee with top-notch entertainment? Mm. So <clears throat> one particular show that uh, put together was in Cannes, France. It was friggin' awesome. It was during the world's largest music conference called MEDAM, mm-hmm. a music industry show, industry folks from around the world, you know. So you could go there, you can meet people from China, Russia, mm-hmm. Europe, of course. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I had an idea to do a showcase. And um, in in uh, 2006, we partnered with the Canadian Embassy in Paris. We partnered with MEDAM, Heritage. And uh, we did a showcase called Aboriginal Canada Live. Mm-hmm. It was really, really a lot of fun. <clears throat> and it was uh, partnered with Eaglin Hawk, Derek Miller, and uh, Asani, the singing trio from Alberta. Mm. Well, I tell you, it was really good. It was well attended. If anything, I mean, we did get industry contacts and some movement from it. But if anything came of it, it was probably the first time in this conference history and in the south of France where you had this Canadian native indigenous group of people 
bringing their music and voice to mm. the to the audience. Mm. It was really something. We we're in this wonderful theater of five hundred people, and they didn't never seen stuff like that or mm. heard that, right? So it was quite interesting. Mm. I wouldn't, um, in in hindsight, and I never do again. But I I don't use the word Aboriginal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I, I mean, the I lot of well, a lot of folks thought we were from Australia. Yeah. <clears throat> the only reason I did that, I felt obligated because we were partially funded from the government of Canada. <laughs> Mm. So, but it was a wonderful experience, and uh, that gave me some ideas there. And you know, as the years went on, uh, different things have evolved. And you know, Eagle and Hawk, of course, is still a relevant, uh, <clears throat> a relevant ve- uh, vehicle that I'll share some really cool, good news as we continue our conversation. Okay. So, yeah. what about uh, that? So then, I think uh, <coughs> around 2011, you decided to sort of take a break or, or do some more personal stuff. And, you started with uh, started Indian City around that time, didn't you? Um, well, 2011, yeah. Eaglen Hawk was um, well, it wasn't riding into the sunset. It was kind of just, <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of just sitting there, and I was going, okay, you know, what what are we going to do? We kind of peaked in my mm. mind. We mm. peaked uh, with some great performances and shows and awards and albums, um, and I did do a, actually a solo album in mm. 2011. Okay. Uh, it was called uh, Songs for Turtle Island by mm. Vince Fontaine. And it was really a, a fun project. It was more instrumental. It mm-hmm. was kind of more of my indigenous imagery fusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it resonated uh, with some folks. It, it uh, got me uh, an award from the Canadian Folk Music Award for Songwriter. Nice. It was awesome. Congratulations. And um, it, it, at the same time, I was actually looking for a different vehicle to, to start. And um, there was a couple of uh, inspirational moments that summer of 2011. I, I uh, flew out to Calgary to see Carlos Santana. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, he's always been one of my favorites, not just as a guitar player, but yeah. because of the, the career, the music, uh, the way he presents himself. He's not mm. a lead singer, nor right. am I a lead singer. Right. So I thought, <clears throat> wow, this guy's got this fabulous band. He's got two or three singers there that come out mm. on occasion. Mm-hmm. I thought, this is a cool blueprint for a show. Mm. <clears throat> and... Um, there was another band that was famous worldwide in the 70s from New York City that I saw a documentary on. They were called the Fania All-Stars. They were the start of the salsa music scene mm. in America. Mm. Uh, again, a big band. One guy started it, and then he had three or four singers in mm. his band. Mm. So that gave me kind of an idea, blueprint, f- to start this new group called Indian City. Right. And <clears throat> so I was you know, watching TV in 2011. I seen this fabulous big voice on TV. It was this young guy. William Prince. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, hey, I got to give this guy a shout. So <clears throat> that was that. Um, I, I had a friend, uh, Don Amaro in Winnipeg. I yeah. called him up and I uh, called a uh, female singer, uh, Pamela Davis, who was awesome. And then this brother-sister group uh, team who um, were Juno winners themselves from a band called Burnt and um, mm. Tick and Neewa Mason, mm. a bass player and keyboard player. And so next thing you know, I, I had a new band. <laughs> And um, the um, chemistry was just incredible. I mean, I got on stage, and here I'm looking around. I'm going, hey, I got William Prince, Don Amaro, Pamela, Tick and Niwa. I got our drummer from Eagle and Hawk and our keyboard player. What a, what a group. Yeah. It was really a yeah. fun, awesome. <laughs> it was a great moment. And so we wrote some wonderful songs. The chemistry was awesome. And, and um, probably one of the first songs, because I guess it was my conviction and vision, was to create this song and it came out and it was just called super nation mm. and <clears throat> really it summed it up by the title. It's like, we're a nation, but we're pretty super. Mm. Right. So, mm. um, and that's kind of what was the starting footsteps of Indian city band. Mm. So cool. it was really fun. Nice. 
Well, you want to hear a bit of that song? Yeah, we play yeah. that right now. That'd be awesome. We got that uh, lined up. So let's hear a bit of uh, Super Nation by Indian City, and we'll come right back on Moment of Truth and speak with Vince Fontaine after this. Sego Ani and Tanse, and welcome back to Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. Vince Fontaine is in our studio with us today. We are pleased to have him uh, drop in. Uh, quite unexpectedly, but uh, mm-hmm. nevertheless, we're glad to have you here, Vince, and we really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yeah, good to be here again, like I said. It's it's always nice <clears throat> to uh, be able to have people come in that have um, a, a, a a proven track record uh, that of songs that we play uh, and give people a chance to, to hear hear them, hear words from them, uh, speak about their, their career, about their lives, about uh, what they're up to. And, you know, uh, uh, something I always say to uh, the Indigenous artists is that uh, it, it, as an artist, there's a territory that comes with what you do. And that is the responsibility as a representative of the indigenous people. Uh, that, you know, it just it just happens to go with the, the area. And I'm sure that, um, I don't need to tell you this, but I'm sure you get a lot of questions. I'm sure you get people uh, expecting perhaps things from you. Um, I'm sure that you also get young artists, uh, upcoming people, um, <coughs> asking you uh or, or saying perhaps that they admire what you're doing and they look up to you as a as sort of a role model? Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I always kind of felt that, uh, you know, in, in our particular communities and culture, it's kind of a unique opportunity. Mm. And so we're almost like cultural ambassadors. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, so I, I try and share that with uh, the people in the group at the same time and mm. rem- tell them that there's something in our community. People are on the lookout and want to uh, share the best uh, best practices mm. so to speak mm. that we have um we are rock and roll musicians as well <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, you know so uh yeah <laughs> but um yeah it's it's a it's a it's an interesting and fun experience over the last couple decades mm. um which has uh been a wonderful journey and i'm always thankful about that and it's mm. great when we have a growing industry and when there's a radio station that pops up and shares this with mm. our artists that's really great mm. yeah so just before the break there, we, we did hear uh, a song from the new group you put together, Indian City, uh, Super Nation. Mm, yeah. And um, that night, uh, nice uh, Carlos Santana so, so solo. You mentioned. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That that was the first song that was written in Indian City, and it was uh, probably weeks after I had visited the Carlos Santana concert. And I thought, hey, I have a Les Paul. <laughs> it was great, yeah. One of my favorite guitar players. Now, you also mentioned there's some uh, some exciting news about Eagle and Hawk. Yeah, Eagle and Hawk, uh, well, we dusted off the plates and mm-hmm. kicked the tires. Right. Uh, actually, it started a couple of years ago. Uh, Eagle and Hawk got an invitation to uh, to play on the Canada 150 train, mm-hmm. cross-country mm-hmm. train, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of fired up the wheels again. There's just such a chemistry, long-running chemistry mm-hmm. within the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a contained band. There's four of us, five of us mm-hmm. uh, sometimes uh, with uh, Jay and uh, Spatch and Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, Rich is our newer drummer. Uh, unfortunately, our drummer uh, for years had passed away about oh, four years ago. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, <clears throat> so Eagle and Hawk kind of fired it up again, and uh, then there was talk, "Hey, this is so much fun!" And uh, we did a handful of gigs last year and mm. this year as well. So we got offered um, a, a documentary, a broadcast, oh, nice. uh, which I can't share a hundred percent, but there'll be an Eagle and Hawk documentary because Excellent. we entered kind of a marker last November. It was. 20 years nice. with Jay Bodner as a singer. <clears throat> so we did this cool show called 20 Years Best Of. Mm. In fact, we actually uh, printed an album, a CD with uh, our favorite tracks, and it's called Eagle and Hawk uh, mm. Best Of 20 mm. Years. And with that in mind, we thought, 
Wow, what a what a time then in 2019 to record a new album. Mm. So we're going to have a new album. Uh, we have a couple of tracks finished. In fact, we'll release our first single probably around uh, June 21st. Nice. Um, and uh, we'll have the album out in the fall. Well, we look forward to receiving that. Yeah, awesome. I'm so some, excited about that. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. And uh, you also have some other gigs coming up? I, I... So, <clears throat> yeah, so it's uh, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's thinking about it. But, uh, you know, when you wear the two hats with yeah. the two groups, the, um, fortunately, they haven't competed against each other mm. with gigs or right. uh, scheduling that as at, at all. But uh, Indian City has got its own legs in a sense with its album from last year and the Juno nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still my favorite fun project as well with Eagle and Hawk. So we're going to be here in Toronto on May the 10th for Canadian Music Week, mm-hmm. and we're going to do a show at the uh, Paddock on Bathurst. Okay. Friday evening, uh, time, uh, prime slot at 11 p.m. on a Friday. So uh, check us out on social media and uh, come on out to that show. It's going yeah. to be awesome, Indian Great. City. Yeah, make sure you uh, you stay in touch with us and, and yeah. let us know, remind us about that at a later date. For sure. Um, now, we're running uh, close to time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm wondering if there's anything else you want to mention uh, <clears throat> that's important before we have this. Uh, you know, it's just uh, great to be here. It's 2019. I mean, you look at that and, uh, you know, we, we like playing music as the number one main thing, right? So <laughs> if you want to want to have Eagle and Hawk or Indian City as your music guest, give us a shout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we definitely will, um, and we have uh, one more song that we uh, want to feature from uh, the ba- from Eagle and Hawk. Yeah, um, do you have any do you have any favorite songs like of the bands as you look back over the over the years? Um, yeah, well, all of them. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Every artist would say that. <laughs> well, there's some that are really fun live, right? Yeah. Like Wild West Show is awesome okay. live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then of course people always get excited when they hear the opening chords of Sundancer, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah, there's quite a few favorites. Um, where you know when we feature Coco Stevenson, Ray Coco mm-hmm. Stevenson, who's a traditional singer who jumps in with the band mm-hmm. on some gigs, he's done a wonderful track called "Dance," mm-hmm. and it's just uh, I, I I wrote the song and the chant, and uh, Coco delivered the goods, so to speak. It's a bit of a chant in the key of D and with a crow hop beat. Nice. Well, we're going to hear uh, Sundancer as All we right. sign off. Uh, as, so we, we feature a little bit of Indian City and Eagle and Hawk for our listeners today. Awesome. Uh, any gigs uh, coming up in Ottawa? Um, yeah, we're hoping to maybe cash in around there around Solstice. Okay. We're yeah. uh, making the calls and uh, maybe we might be out there around that time. All right. Sounds yeah. good. So let's listen to uh, Sundancer on uh, Element FM. You've been listening to uh, uh Moment of Truth, and uh, we've had uh, Vince Fontaine in with us. We're going to leave you with this song from Eagle and Hawk, and then we'll come back with our second guest of the hour right after this. And uh, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. want to thank Vince Fontaine once again for coming into our studios and uh, sharing a little bit about his uh, his history with uh, um, uh, the couple of bands he's been with, Eagle and Hawk, as well as Indian City, and what's going on with them. Uh, a little bit of irony with the with the uh, the speaking with with Vince is that our next caller uh, com, com, calling us from uh, Manitoba as well is the uh, Manitoba advocate Daphne uh, Penrose. Uh, Daphne, good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. Good morning. Thank um, you for having me. Uh, you, you, it's it's a pleasure to have you. Um, I wish it was a pleasure to speak with you about the subjects we're going to be talking about, but the subjects that. And, and what you deal with is very, very important work. And I take my hat off to you for doing those kind of things and the reports that you bring and the information that you get out about 
uh, about the the topics. And uh, you know, when I mentioned there was a bit of a an irony there, is uh, that uh, Vince Fontaine, a musician from uh, this band Eagle and Hawk, uh, that was just in our studios. I was just telling me that he uh, is, in fact, uh, somehow related to Tina Fontaine. And um, he said he didn't know her directly, but uh, he would have had a, a family connection somewhere in there. And that's one of the things that uh, you're on the air to talk with us a little bit about is the life of, of Tina Fontaine. And and uh, it's unfortunate how we know about Tina Fontaine. But uh, in having a quick look at the report that you put out, you mentioned that it's also very important that we know about the life of Tina Fontaine. Yeah, and I think what what's really important is for us to learn how what happened for Tina or didn't happen for Tina and then uh, begin to look at how we can prevent similar tragedies from happening to other kids. Yeah, so can you can I just get a little bit of background on you for instance how how does someone end up in a, this position that you do to 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 as 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 an advocate a Manitoba advocate how'd you end up there yeah so um i spent uh pretty much the majority of my adult life um in the helping professions mm-hmm. i started in justice way back in the late late 80s um, and uh, moved over to child welfare in, in the mid-90s and um, then have pretty much worked in almost every, um, every job in child welfare um, since that time uh, and uh, eventually uh, ended up here at the Manitoba Advocate for Children in Youth. Well, that can't be an easy choice of, of career, uh, you, you must be a very special kind of person to be able to uh, to do that. Well, you know, thank you. Uh, but I think really uh, one of the things that keeps me moving forward is the hope for change. And, mm. you know, being able to stand up and amplify the voice of children and talk about children's experience and, um, you know, and do it... Uh, in the privileged way that that I am able to do it from this office, being nonpartisan and independent office, and being able to uh, speak truth to children's stories and and uh, you know speak about the services that were were or were not provided to Tina and the other kids that uh, we are currently investigated and or reports we have put out. I mean that that's the real hope that we have for for change coming. Um, so, and that really is where you have to keep your focus when you are, are doing investments like this and, and being able to educate the public about the systems and um, what's, what's working and not working in the systems. So what you say there, hope for the future, hope for change, how by putting something together like you have done with, with um, the report on TINA, uh, how do you how do you look at that in terms of putting that report together? Then, what by by putting this together, as I, as you say, we want to to focus on how we can get things to happen differently. What what was missed? How do we do things differently? How can we help this in the future so it doesn't happen again? So, how do you go about putting this all together? So, um, what we do is we uh, look at all of the different services that were or should have been involved uh, in a life of one of the children who have passed away. Um, and then we start to look at 
the issues that were present in their lives. We review all of the files, the documents of all of the different uh, public services, provincial public services that were provided to, uh, in this case, Tina. And um, we start to look at, uh, we compare those services to the policies and procedures of those different uh, uh, service providers. And then we start to look at um, the community context um, we start to do some qualitative interviews with family, friends, um, different stakeholders that were involved uh, in the life, and then we start to really get a, a picture of what was going on for the child and what the issues were and what it is the public needs to know about what happened or should have happened for the children that we're investigating, and then we make recommendations for change. Mm. So when you've when you've done this over and I'm assuming you've done this uh, over a number of, of times because I see too that you have uh, mentioned to us uh, um, Angel's story as well um, when you when you look at these is there anything that jumps out at you that that seems to be constantly missed or something that is that is uh, uh, similar so between these two stories what's similar here is really um, when I speak about uh, sexual exploitation and addictions and co-occurring issues, those are certainly, that's certainly a theme that you see in these two reports. But the other thing is the opportunities for intervention mm. uh, that didn't happen for, for both of these people and, and for Circling Star, actually, the first report that we put out, right, is that one of the, the big takeaways from this is that early intervention and prevention is probably where you will get your biggest impact in the lives of children. Mm. Um, we have to take a short break, but we're going to come right back, so please stay on the line. We'll be right back with Daphne Penrose after this. Welcome back to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'm your host, David Moses. On the line from uh, Manitoba uh, with us is Daphne Penrose. She is the Manitoba advocate. We are speaking about... Uh, her role and also about some of the reports that she has been putting together in specific uh, relationship to uh, Tina Fontaine and also Angel's story. And just before the break, uh, Daphne, you were mentioning that early intervention uh, was something that you saw as, as needed or that was missing in these stories. Yeah, and so uh, one of the things that, um, you know, I think is critical is the ability to uh, have families who are intact be able to access early interventions and prevention services so that they assist their families in becoming well and, and uh, healthy so that they don't require interventions uh, like CFS and so that uh, trajectories that uh, lead kids uh, into um, very complicated trauma lives and um, having complex needs and, and being victims of sexual exploitation, um, you know, doesn't happen for them. Explain to me how, um, when you say intact or, you know, CSF, and, and how, how that falls apart uh, in a situation where if, if the family is intact, how does, that, how does that fall apart like that then? So if a family is 
struggling. So if a parent is struggling with uh, their own trauma or addictions and they are, um, you know, beginning uh, their family and or having a, having a child, the ability to access uh, services and to help them to parent safely um, and to assist them in dealing with their either mental health issues and or their addiction issues is imperative because uh, it will allow them to parent in a healthy and safe way and to provide support for those parents so that they can, uh, they can keep their children at home with them um, and access the services that they need to get healthy and parent in a healthy way. And so um, that's the piece that's really important when you start to look at intervention and prevention so that, um, you know, families can stay together. In situations where families can't access early intervention or prevention services and supports um, aren't in place, sometimes and, and oftentimes uh, families end up involved with CFS. And if the situation is such that the parents illness or um, situation presents safety issues for the child, then the child ends up being removed. Um, and so really that's the importance of uh, intervention and prevention services for families uh, early on. Now, it sounds to me like even before, uh, when as you were talking there, when you mentioned family uh, and intervention, it, it, what, are the, what are the tools, if you know, that are available for that early intervention. And it really sounds like long before uh, a situation could arise that people need to have education and awareness uh, to understand perhaps the long-term outcome or potential results their actions might be might have. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Um, I think so. Um, and I think you know, one of the things that I talk about a little bit in Tina's story is um, uh, some of the intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma that happened in this family, um, and that happens in many uh, many families who are receiving services. Um, and so, you know, we talk about the impacts of residential schools and colonialism on Indigenous people, and one of the things that's important in this story is that um, people understand that, you know, Tina, Tina was born into a family that had significant uh, trauma history and, um, you know, there was an opportunity uh, with Tina's mom and with Tina um, to, to try to do some early intervention and prevention services with families and to also understand the impacts of of that trauma on, on, on families and what it looks like for kids today. Um, and Tina really, Tina really carried that burden that, that uh, was, uh, you know, that she struggled with. And, and certainly we need to start to look at how, how are we moving forward with that. You know, we uh, here on, on Moment of Truth, uh, the word intergenerational trauma is something I've heard a lot through our guests uh, over the last last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, certainly with a, a new book that I was fortunate to, to read and given for as a guest, uh, it's called Legacy, and um, that talks a lot about the interge intergenerational trauma. Um, now, when you talk about family, ob obviously you have, you've spoken with the family, as you mentioned, 
And there's a, a certain amount of uh, openness or, 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 or uh, if, if you're going to be sharing her story, they have to have some, some uh, uh, element of input and also be willing to share her story. Yeah, and you know, the courage that it takes for a family who have lost their loved ones to participate in this is beyond imaginable, mm. right? And so um, sometimes uh, family will uh, participate and then some members of the family won't participate. And we, d- we certainly don't force that. Um, but what we have, for the most part, um, uh, realized is that families want their their child's truth to be told um, so that their voice is amplified and so that uh, other kids don't um, end up in the same kind of tragedy that Tina or Angel wound mm. up in. Mm. Do you have any, um, as you mentioned early on in, the, in this program, about hope? Uh, and and the hope that you can help change things for the future and make things better so this doesn't happen to others do you have stories uh that you can uh, then you can share some information about where you have had that success in in helping to prevent things yeah you know we have had kids who um have been able to um successfully make changes in their lives uh for sure um, but, you know, I think one of the things that here specifically in Manitoba is that um, the need for treatment for kids that meets their needs um, and making sure that that treatment is available to kids when they need it. Um, and so one of the hopeful pieces that I, I continue to uh, endeavor to to speak to and to uh, try to amplify the voice of children is just their need for for treatment that uh, that helps them wherever it is that they're at. Mm. That that sounds very um, open. It sounds like that's a very wide uh, uh, option plaque pla- pla- that you need there. Yeah, you know, I think that um, there is a lot of, um, there's, you know, there are services that are currently functioning here in Manitoba that help children at different and varying, uh, varying times through their, through their life story. But, you know, one of the things that we really struggle with, and I talk about it in the report, is actual treatment beds for kids who are, who are in uh, significant difficulty uh, with their addiction. So that is one of the areas where I'm really hopeful that we'll see some movement here in the province is being able to provide residential treatment uh, for kids uh, in a way that uh, helps kids. So there's, there's a shortage is what you're saying at this point in time. Yeah, there's a significant shortage here. And, and uh, really here in Manitoba, we don't have uh, long-term treatment beds for kids uh, who are at high risk. Mm-hmm. So when you when you speak with a family and they share their their um, loved one's story that has has passed in an unfortunate situation such as this, you talk about hope. Do you, do you think that also part of this is to celebrate this this the, the the short life that these people have had as well? 
Well, I think that, you know, when we go and we talk to families about um, the services that their their child or their loved one may have received or not received, um, I think the hope really comes from um, the recommendations for change. Uh, and, you know, I, I can speak about uh, the, the three investigations that we have put out publicly and, and just the the hope that um, each of the parents had talked to us about, about being part of the change, right? Because mm. um, oftentimes, um, you know, when we start going through all of the files from the different organizations that uh, were involved in their lives, um, some... Hello? I do sit down, family members that want to, uh, I do sit down and I go through the report with them page by page mm. and talk to them about what happened and answer any questions that they have. And then I talk about the recommendations and where we need to go to make sure that this kind of tragedy, um, that the likelihood of this kind of tragedy decreases significantly. Mm. So are there are there some of those recommendations that you can share? Yeah, for sure. All of them are, are public uh, as part of the uh, report itself. Uh, and so we basically made five recommendations in the Tina Fontaine report. Uh, the first one was with respect to education. Um, what we found uh, in the life of Tina and also uh, for uh, Angel and also for Circling Star was the impact that um, suspensions and um, expulsions have on kids and uh, the impacts that those have on the outcomes for children. Mm. And so, uh, we made a recommendation to uh, develop a province-wide strategy to limit, reduce, and phase out expulsionary practices, except in mm. of eminent risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we made a recommendation to mental health and um, the impetus for that recommendation really stemmed from the fact that, um, you know, access to mental health services on and off community is, uh, is really um, not something that is easily accessible or available to children who are struggling. And so um, we had made a recommendation to... Um, to uh, do a clear implementation plan to address child and youth-specific recommendations um, contained in uh, what is called a Virgo, what is called the Virgo report, which was a report that was done here in Manitoba that analyzed the mental health system. Mm. That report made a series of recommendations, so we have uh, supported the implementation of those recommendations. Uh, and then victim services, because uh, Tina had lost her father uh, to a tragedy uh, that um, that was a crime, um, she was entitled to victim services. And unfortunately, through a series of unfortunate events, she actually never did receive those services. Mm. And so there was opportunity to intervene um, and those services just never were provided. Mm. And so we talked about uh, continuum uh, of victim support services and that there be some quality control measures put in place mm. in those services. 
make sure that people get what they're entitled to get and what they're asking for. Right. And then in Child and Family Services, we talked about um, the government looking at um, different legislation across the country, specifically Alberta's legislation on protection of Sexually Exploited Children's Act and Alberta's Drug Endangered Children's Act to determine how um, safe and secure uh, treatment facilities can be introduced in Manitoba and to develop a plan for a continuum of services for children who are um, uh, really struggling with severe addictions and that those, um, all of those services, uh, residential, be safe, uh, home-like settings for kids mm. who are uh, at eminent risk. Right. And then the last one is with respect to sexual exploitation and missing kids. Um, and because we have uh, a significant number of kids who go missing here in Manitoba, uh, we talked about uh, the creation of a new protocol uh, to ensure that response plans are created for missing kids, um, and in particular, uh, missing kids who are sexually exploited that clearly outline um, the risk when they are missing so that uh, police and CFS can um, really put a response plan in place once the kids go missing and understand their level of risk and therefore respond in a timely way. Daphne, that's great. Thank you very much for this. We've run out of time, and I'm sorry we don't have more, but I would very much like to have you back on the show again and, uh, and, and continue this. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.